0: Yeah, yeah. Y'all give them a hand. Y'all killed it tonight. That was wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. uh, I'm going to trip over these. I like these, but I'm going to trip over these. It's going to happen. Okay, uh, so... Just to remind you of what's going on. We uh, typically, what you're going to see at Crosspoint, right, is we're going to take a book, we're going to preach through a book. That way, I don't just find my favorite verses and then take them out of context and tell you what to do with your life. Uh, we really like to preach through books, explain books of the Bible. Um, but we're taking this semester, I think what happens when you do that, though, is we can hit a lot of things. Um, that never hit some very important things to you. Uh, And so what I wanted to do for this semester is for the last two weeks, we've basically just taken votes of what do you want to hear talked about. Uh, And so we've been accumulating those votes and we're just going to do basically what was the most voted for for the next 11 sermons. Except for tonight, this one is not the most voted for this one was just the most earnest this was the most passionate like need for a sermon that we saw in there and it was something that I talk to people about whenever I get to sit down and have coffee with students this just comes up over and over and over again uh, and so for lack of a better word this is quiet times but that's it's not a great word I don't know what that word means But I'm gonna read. I I hope this isn't betraying this person's trust. There doesn't seem like a lot of personal stuff in there. Uh, But I I think you'll understand when I read this. I think you'll understand. uh, I just feel like most of us have been in this place, Uh, and so I think this is an appropriate place to start. And then we'll actually get into the the top ten over the next few weeks. So listen to this. He he says, "How to get a more personal relationship with God through a one-on-one Bible study." And then he jumps in. I feel a connection with God during community group, Crosspoint, Sunday morning service. But during my personal Bible study, I feel absolutely nothing. I feel empty. I feel as though I'm alone. I've tried pre-written studies, books, podcasts, and just reading the Bible, nothing seems to work. I don't know what to do. I hate feeling this empty. I worry that maybe I don't truly have a relationship with God, that only in groups can I feel him but in church, cross point, or community group, I truly do feel him. I know he is there. I can hear him speak. I've heard him when I'm alone, uh, just not when I'm actively seeking him. Please preach on this. I'm sick of failing in this way. And then the only two CrossPoints I won't be here is before and after spring break. So, but, I, I, as I read this, I'm like, no, no, I know exactly how you feel. And then the, the more that I just sort of looked over it, the more I was like, and I think most people have felt this way or either have been through a, a season of feeling that way or are currently in a season of feeling that way. They, yeah, you go to church and you, and you hear some good stuff and maybe occasionally you do feel some connection with God, but actively sitting down and having a time with the Lord that actually feels productive and actually feels like you're meeting this creator uh, it, it is spotty at best, at best. It's like you have a couple good days and then it's just like uh, you fall asleep or then you just sort of think about other things or you just get distracted or whatever it is. But having this time with the Lord that is supposed to be this thing that sort of fills me up and pushes me out through the day so that I can I can walk with him and meet temptation and evangelize or whatever it is that we feel like the Lord's calling us to do. But to have that time with the Lord that actually is meaningful, I think is almost... It's a rarity that I come across people when I sit down with coffee and I'm like, hey, well, you know, and I usually start with, so what's your relationship with the Lord like? What's your relationship with, you know, with the Lord on a daily basis? And it's typically forced, spotty, not great, but I hear all the time. When I'm around people, I mean, that's encouraging. Community is good and I feel like I hear from the Lord and connect with the Lord during, during group time, but alone, it's not the case. So, this is what we're doing tonight. Does anybody have a better word than quiet time? I don't kind of what do you call it? You do. Yeah, it's a you just don't say it in public. Ooh, God's time. All right. I don't I honestly don't know what to call this, but job Jackson having coffee. Okay. <laughs> uh so we're, we're gonna be in Matthew 6 I mean I feel like this is the most appropriate place to look at this uh, we'll get there in a minute though uh, you got to give me a few minutes to introduce this idea uh it's only gonna take a few minutes introduction so uh we're, we're gonna be in the Lord's Prayer it's super famous it's gonna be on the screen you probably have it memorized if you're a Catholic or a Methodist um but yeah yeah I mean this is something that I think we really need to look at it's super meaningful uh so Uh, I think, though, what creates a lot of frustration around this time is unmet expectations about what that time is supposed to be like, and I believe a lot of baggage we bring to the table about what should motivate this time. I think what motivates any time that we try to sit down and meet with the Lord, I think a lot of times it's obligatory, like we know or we think that God just enjoys that, like God really wants me to sit down with a cup of expensive coffee, right, and read some of the Bible, and that he looks in and smiles on us, and he's like, you know, that's good. You're a good person, or whatever, right? So there's this obligation that this is something you should do, or I think what might even motivate it is there was a time in your life where it actually was productive and meaningful, But then something has happened along the way where it's no longer meaningful and now you're just trying to force whatever it was you felt at that time. And maybe it was a particular Bible study that you did that was probably like Kay Arthur or who's that other crazy lady? Beth Moore, right, right, right. I know some of you guys are doing Beth Moore too, right? So you're ju- like you jump into this Bible say it's particularly meaningful or impactful at a particular time in your life, and you go through it, and then you're like, okay, I'm going to get another one, and you go through that, and it's like, uh, nothing really. So then you just, you just keep trying, you just keep trying, and so there's this obligation, or there's this, uh, this has worked in the past, but now it just doesn't really do much for me, but I know I should because that's what Christians do, or something like that. And so you try, then you don't try for a long time, and then you try again because someone preaches on it, and then you're like, ah, it's any good, right? But I think there's these expectations that are never met, these motivations, and then I think there's just this religiosity or this obligation that we bring to the table that muddies the waters a little bit, and so we don't just come relaxed and wanting to hear from the Lord and, and letting it just be what it is, right? Uh, And I do think, I think it'd be really easy to say, and I think I've heard this before, I think it'd be easy to say, like... If you were talking to this person, hey, it doesn't matter what you feel. It just doesn't matter what you feel. This isn't about feeling. This is about you just, right, believing. The feelings don't have any place in this. But then I would take you to Philippians 4. Well, Philippians 4 is really specific where it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Like, again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. And don't be anxious about anything. But by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving. And then it says this, ridicul- this these ridiculous words. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. Right? And so I would ask you, have you had the experience where you had something that was causing anxiety and then you just sort of said it to the Lord or you just quoted that verse to Him, but then the peace of God did not... Actually, just descend on you like a dove, right? You just said, here, take this, take this. I don't want this, I don't want this. And then give it 20 minutes and you're back like torn up about it. You know what I mean? I would say we need to look at the life of Jesus as a model that that wasn't the way that he lived and that the way that Paul lived and the way he quotes that in Philippians 4 is actually should be the model for our life that we should actually be able to do what happens in Philippians, where I let my request be made known to God with thanksgiving, and then there truly is peace, which, I mean, I hate to say it, but I, I don't hate to say it, is a feeling. You know when you're overrun with anxiety, or you know when your heart is trustworthy, I mean, your heart is trusting in God and, and peaceful, And so I do think this is something we need to look at and talk about and not be okay with just disregard feeling. It doesn't matter. I think it does matter. We are intellectual and emotional beings, and we are called, the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. It's every bit of me. It's not just a mental, intellectual endeavor. Something that is all of me, and when it doesn't line up, we should think about it, talk about it, pray about it, and and see something like Philippians 4. I believe we should. I believe that's the design. So, but I think what we need to do is just take away whatever paradigm for reality that you have and you operate in about the meaning of existence, the the purpose for your life, why humans exist, what is God like, what is he about? Like, let's, let's just get rid of that, whatever paradigm you have. And let me quickly create a paradigm for you that I believe scripture really really says and then let's insert time with the Lord into this biblical paradigm instead of whatever construct we have about the way that God is or the way he should work or what life is about or whatever okay I think the reason these things don't ever line up is because we don't really operate within a mental framework that is actual reality I don't think, and here's an example, I don't think we approach, you typically don't wake up in the morning and think that you're walking into utter darkness where people around you have been marred and maimed and destroyed by the darkness that we live in in the world not just in this country but in every country that you're waking up in the middle of warfare where everything in in you or most of what is in you wants to walk away from God and that there are spiritual beings who are actively at work to pull you away from God and then the world around you is being directed by evil spiritual beings who want to direct your life in a way that is contrary to what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have for you. Right, so is that I'm just being honest? Is that the construct that you wake up into, or do you wake up into the construct of, "I yeah, got a test today, I studied for like 10 minutes. God, please, 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 let me pass this test." Right. So, what reality? really is, the way that scripture paints reality to be, your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And we are typically worried about what to eat, what to wear, what to do, right? And so we try to fit this quiet time into that or whatever this is, or this Bible reading plan or whatever, Right, no wonder it doesn't really fit because that's not really reality that we're waking up into. That's us going along being conformed by the pattern of this world and not being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Right, so this is what we've got. We gotta got tear this category down and operate a little differently, completely, right? Okay. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read something and I just, this is where we gotta start this conversation. Uh, this is a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I just love to read him. He was a German theologian, like in the 30s. He was killed by Hitler. Uh, awesome guy. Really good guy. Uh, and so this is what he says. Listen. This is the original design. This is something he wrote about Genesis 2. He says, God fashioned humankind out of dust from the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life. Here again, Everything takes place in a very down-to-earth way. To say that Yahweh, Yahweh is the Old Testament name of God, to say that Yahweh fashions humankind with Yahweh's own hands expresses two complementary things. On the one hand, it expresses the physical nearness of the creator to the creature. Expresses that it is really the creator who makes me the human being with the Creator's own hands. It expresses the trouble the Creator takes, the Creator's thinking about me, the Creator's intention with me and nearness to me. On the other hand, it expresses also the omnipotence, the utter supremacy with which the Creator fashions and creates me and in terms of which I am the Creator's creature. It expresses the fatherliness with which the creator creates me and in the context of which I worship the creator. That is the true God to whom the whole Bible bears witness. So we got to begin, if we're going to reframe our context, we have to begin with this context. That human beings are not the random product of an evolutionary mechanism. We are the product of, of God who with his hands and nearness to us fashioned us from the ground and then blew his breath, his spirit into our nostrils. Everything else, Genesis one is created by his word. It's only humanity that he stoops down, puts his hands in the ground, makes us, and then puts his mouth to our nose and breathes his spirit into us. We are the only things on this planet that are physical and spiritual. We are the only things on this planet that are both earth and heaven. We are the only things on this planet that are that way. Everything else has, if you read in Hebrew, it's an animal spirit, it's called neshama, but if you read in Hebrew, the human spirit is a different word It's imparted by God, from him, as part of him. And so what we see is that when we as humans are made in his image, we're not just made like him, we're made with a desperate dependency upon him. We do not operate and live apart from him, and we cannot live and operate apart from him. We can't. Right, so what you see very early in the biblical text is that humans walk away from the relationship and death enters into the creation, enters into humanity, right? So we see that is what the model is. Humans were made for intimate dependence upon the Creator moment by moment by moment by moment because we are made from Him and we bear His imprint and that we, as a race, walked away from that. The greatest injustice and travesty. We walked away from that, And right? So, what is his response? Well, in the Old Testament, his response is to make this nation who will pave the way for the Messiah, Jesus, who will then take on our earthly form and his body be broken and his blood shed to cover our transgressions so that for this single purpose not that we go to heaven even though we do but that we might be restored relationally once again to the creator you see that's the pattern even in the old testament before god comes as a human in the old testament he's still paving the way and it's in the context of relationship when he comes to moses and, and he says okay i'm just gonna i'm gonna lead your people israel i'm gonna bring you to this land and moses is like hold up unless you go with us we don't really care to go unless you're with us unless you go in front of us and behind us and you live with us we don't care to do this and what it says is god looks at moses And it's as if he smiles on that, and he says, yeah, 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 you get it. This is what this is about. Humans returning to their God in complete moment by moment by moment dependence. And then what you see in Jeremiah 2 is this super interesting thing that Israel is in relationship to God, but they have no relationship with God. I guess the best way to say it is they are in a formal relationship with God, but there's no intimacy in that relationship. So in one of the craziest chapters, I think in the Bible, Jeremiah 2, Jeremiah says these words. He says, thus says the Lord, he says, he basically says the heavens cry out against you. Never have, has anybody seen something like this There are two sins against you, which is wrong. There's thousands of sins against the Israelites. They were like killing their babies in front of trees that they had carved into the image of women because they thought it would make them fertile. That's just like one of a thousand things they were doing. But he says, two things you've done. You've forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And then you've hewn out cisterns for yourself that can hold no water. Those are the two things that God says is the great tragedy of these people that were in relationship with God. They had traded the life-giving sustenance that God provides for nothing, not even something kind of okay. They had traded life-giving water for basically empty wells. And so what you see locked up in there is they traded, they had a formal relationship but zero intimacy right and it's because we're humans and that's what we do we're broken and then this is why the Israelites paved the way for Jesus and then Jesus comes and restores what was broken in humanity the blood that Jesus shed on the cross is meant to do away with the curse of sin that we're locked into the curse of sin being that thing in you that always does what you don't want to do when you set yourself on a good path so what happened let's just take uh or finish strong just happened on monday right wonderful event was beautiful was awesome was powerful i've been to events right where the lord just grabbed me and took a hold of me and it was like i want something different right and i've gone forward to the altar and laid down and then give it three weeks give it three weeks that's what was in me right the curse of sin i want to do something i really do want to follow you god like i do want to follow you i want to be able to push away this temptation like i want to push away this addiction i have to cocaine i want to push away this addiction i have to to weed and i try to get high three times a day to fill whatever it is in me that i don't like like i I want something different i would go to youth camp after youth camp after youth camp and for two weeks i was like i'm following you bro and then three weeks later I'm doing the same thing I was. The curse of sin and death. That thing in you that doesn't allow you to do precisely what it is God calling you to do and you know you want. Right? The blood of Jesus covers that and breaks the chains of that. But what happens is we will leave broken chains around our wrist because we don't walk in the intimacy that the gospel provides. So here we're moving into exactly what I wanna get into, that intimacy, right? So Jesus comes, take the curse on himself, dies on a cross, extends forgiveness to humanity. We're now filled with his spirit to deal with the temptations, to deal with the curse, but then do that in the context of a relationship with our Father once again, right? And then Jesus says these words in John fifteen five. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So here again, we have this problem that we saw with the Israelites that we still have. You can be in a formal relationship with Jesus and have zero intimacy you still can do that, right? Some of you got saved when you were seven years old. You got baptized, whether it was here or somewhere else. And in the next 10 years of your life, look nothing like the life of Jesus, right? You can have a formal relationship with Jesus, zero intimacy. But the power to deal with a curse of sin, that thing that sucks inside of you, the power to deal with that, is only in intimacy. It's not through the formal relationship. The formal relationship opens the door to that so that you can walk in that, find victory in that, find life in that, but it doesn't just do it for you. Right, so like I got married four and a half years ago. My wife left at seven, so she didn't hear that. Uh, uh, yeah, so it'll be five years in August. Um, and I always equate baptism like a wedding ring, right? So a wedding ring is just this sign to y'all that I'm married. It's this weird custom we have. I'm married. Uh, baptism is a lot like that. It doesn't save you. This ring doesn't make me married. I'm still married even though I took it off. It's a sign of a formal relationship that I've made between a woman, God, and the state of Texas. Weird. Weird. <laughs> Baptism doesn't save you, but it's a it's a sign of a formal relationship you've entered into. In the same way that you can enter into that relationship in the same way that I've entered into this relationship with Lauren, I can really just ignore her for like the next 6 months and we get to our 5-year anniversary and basically I just go home and do everything I want to do. I only make one meal for myself, you know. I don't really spend any time with her. I don't take time to communicate with her. I don't take time to get to know her, her thoughts, her fears, what excites her, what makes her mad. I don't take time to get to know her. I don't trust her. And We can just grow apart and I can still wear this ring. I can still be in this formal relationship. We get to five years. We sit across the table at each other, uh, from each other and it's like, who are you? Zero intimacy. That's totally possible. I think that's the pattern for a lot of us inside of Christianity. I think that's the pattern for a lot of us. We entered into a formal relationship a while ago, but we have cultivated zero intimacy. We do not abide in Christ, and Christ does not abide in us, and therefore we can do nothing because we are like a branch cut from its source of life, and we're just sort of withering there, and we feel it. We feel it right? The peace of God does not guard our hearts and our minds. There's no rest in our life. There's frantic worrying and anxiety. There's a frantic running around trying to make people like you or happy with you because you need to please people because you're not really certain that God is pleased with you. So you've got to find that somewhere because we're humans and we're made for it and so you go looking for it. You still need it. We just get it from somewhere else, right? we still need the product of that intimacy that we get from God. And even if we don't get it from him, we'll go looking for it in other sources. The problem is we just don't find it there. It's an empty well that we have carved out for ourselves, right? So the point is we are stuck still in a reality where we can have a formal relationship and no intimacy. Why is that the case, right? So like I've already mentioned, Like I've already mentioned, we live in darkness still. When we as humans as a race broke away from the relationship that we had with God the Father, I need you to realize something. That was the mechanism by which God was bringing his rule, his kingdom, his mercy, his grace, his goodness to this planet, to planet Earth. The mechanism by which God was going to bring mercy, life, grace, his will, his kingdom, To the physical realm was humanity. That's why he formed us and breathed his spirit into us so that we could bear his image and represent him to this world. That was our purpose. That's what we were put here for. So when we rejected the relationship we walked away from the ability to actually represent him and we cultivated darkness and death on the planet instead of life and goodness on the planet. So instead of walking with God and knowing God and understanding God and receiving from our Father the way that we're supposed to live, how that how we're supposed to be the life flows into us and out of us. We are dying and so we're sucking life from the physical realm because we feel the emptiness inside. So it got reversed. And in that, this world became broken and dark. But God's hands aren't tied, right? He sent Jesus, his son, born of a virgin, in the image of man to restore mankind's relationship so that the kingdom of light can then begin to advance on the earth. So you are born into a war. When Jesus comes and says, behold, the kingdom of God is near, he was literally saying to the darkness, like we're coming and we're breaking into this place. That's why it's, I can't remember if it's in Matthew or Luke, but it says the kingdom of God is advancing violently. That's what that means. It's breaking in on the darkness and we carry that light only in intimacy as we abide in the vine, the branch gets life and fruit is born and light happens again until the day that Jesus comes, right, to make it all new once again, to finish that war, right? So we're born into this darkness and if we really are branches trying to be connected to a vine, there are things coming at us to cut us from the vine all day long. You have things in you your flesh that wants to be broken from the vine you don't like being connected to the vine all the time that's hard work i don't get what i want it doesn't go the way that i would like so you have things in you that are contrary to the vine that have to be healed. You have a spiritual attack that's coming at you to cut you from the vine, bringing up guilt, bringing up shame, bringing up anxiety, bringing up fear, bringing up the things in your ear that you've done in the past or that's been done to you to make you hold on to anger or hold on to guilt. Instead of receiving the life and forgiveness that the Father has for you, we hold on to these other things instead. And so it just breaks us off from the vine. Right? So we live as branches trying to be connected to a vine, but it's not like we're in this beautiful hillside. We're in the middle of a battlefield and there are things coming at the branch. And so if we are not intentional with the way that we use the word and the way that we use our time, we will consistently be cut and will fall into this place. I try to connect with the Lord and I don't feel a thing. I try to release things to him, I don't feel a thing, right? So what I wanna say, we're finally here at quiet time. I think the way we need to reframe this really quickly is this, do not view your quiet time or your time with the Lord or whatever as time with the Lord. You are human and you are made to be connected to the Lord at all times. When you're having dinner, when you're having a glass of wine, when you're hanging out with your friends, when you're driving your car, when you're going to work, when you're going to school, whatever you are doing, you are in relationship to your Father because of his abiding spirit so what's the quiet time okay that time is not your time with the lord that is your time to intentionally deal with the things that cut you from the lord right it's not the time that you sit down and say here i am lord let's be friends and talk for a minute and we talk and then i'm going to go about my day Right? No, no, no. The pattern is we're humans. We have His Spirit in us. If we've believed in Jesus and our sins have been covered, we've received His Spirit, and now I'm the temple of the living God that carries the light of God wherever I go. Ministers of reconciliation, the aroma of Christ, right? That's what we're supposed to be day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour. So what's that time for? That's when I specifically deal with the things that cut me personally away from that abiding relationship abiding relationship so here we go jump into Matthew 6 and I just want you to see so when the disciples ask Jesus how do you pray this is what he tells them and it's so ridiculously profound because it deals with the ways that we as humans are are, are always wrestling being pulled away from the vine so we're going to click through these real quick I told John, I mean, I told John this was gonna be a super short sermon. I don't know, sorry. Right, so Matthew 6, we'll start in uh, verse 9. Yeah, that's right, verse 9. Pray then like this. So I want you to think it in this way. Just imagine you don't know what a quiet time is and I'm telling you, you just became a believer like three days ago, Um, okay, you need to take some time to deal with the stuff that gets in the way of your relationship with the Lord. This isn't your time with the Lord. This is the time to deal with your relationship, the, the things that get in the way of that relationship. Okay, so just imagine, let's just imagine you might actually do this tomorrow morning. Take like 15 minutes, right? You don't have to give it an hour. Quiet times is not in Webster's Dictionary. The quiet times are one hour long, okay? All right, so give yourself 15 minutes. Let's start there. And we're gonna take the Lord's Prayer And we're going to use the Lord's Prayer to deal with the things that cut us from the Lord, right? So, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Read that. Don't just read through it. What does it mean? This is where I stop. This is where I would be telling you stop and reflect on what it is you're doing, right? God's not your girlfriend. It's not your dad. He's not some dude. This is the guy that spoke stars into existence that holds every moment of our existence in his hand who is inside of time yet outside of time that's not constrained by linear development like we are constrained by linear development. He's utterly and completely different than us and yet has become like us so that he can suffer for us so that we might become his children once again. Okay, so just stop him in a a moment. Just take a moment and reflect on him. You can use the Psalms because David is really good at doing this in an honest way. David's really good at saying, God, where the heck are you right now but i'm still going to trust you right he does this in an honest way he stops and he's like i know you made everything i don't see you or feel you but i know that you're there and that you're going to be good right so the psalms are a great a great way to just stop and reflect on the lord if you you don't need you don't even need the Psalms, you can look at a tree right look at a tree they grow out of the ground trees grow out of the ground from little seeds because they've been engineered by a crazy god to do things like that right so look at a tree look at the sky look at the stars the heavens declare the glory of god so just stop and reflect for a moment on what we're doing here oh my god the creator didn't just make me and breathe life into me he died for me so that i can be his son our father in heaven so i'm stopping he's bigger than my problems, he's bigger than the conflict I've got with my wife, he's bigger than the conflict I have with my family, he's bigger than the conflict I have with my friends, he's bigger than my test, he's, no, he's not just bigger, he's obscenely other and different and yet intimately acquainted with. So before I even continue, I'm stopping for just a moment, jump in the Psalms or don't, but stop and reflect, right? Right? our father in heaven hallowed holy is your name not my name your name not my name your name then it flows right into the next thing that cuts you from the Lord the first thing that will cut you from the Lord is a small view of the Lord that's why we stop and reflect the first thing that cuts you from him is we elevate ourselves above him stop and recognize where you are in this relationship You're a sheep, he's a shepherd. You're a piece of clay, and he's the potter, right? We just stop, recognize where we are, and then we say these things. This is the next thing that gets in the way of your relationship with the Lord, is you desperately thinking that your will is better than his will, that you might be able to come up with a better plan for your life and then ask him to navigate it for you, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven so the next thing i'm i recognize who you are i recognize who i am i do want your plan for my life and i say that every day every day except for when my son wakes up too early and then life just spins out of control most days if you do not, listen to me, if you do not actively turn over your will to God's will on a daily basis, you cannot abide in Christ. This is why he says, take up your cross and follow me. That's what you're doing when you're saying your will, not my, not my will. I want your will, not my will. I know what my will is. I could give you the next 30 years of my life written out and all the things that I want to get along the way. But if I don't turn that over and say, your will, not my will, no matter what you wanna do with me, I'm down for it, let's roll. If I don't do that on a daily basis, I'm gonna carry around all the frustrations of him redirecting me, because what, six years ago now, I formally gave over to a relationship with him, and he's actively pursuing, pushing me down the path for my life that he has designed that is best for me. And he's doing that with you, except for a lot of you are like, kicking up against it every single day like it's not good and you got some better plan so the next thing that's going to get in the way of your relationship with the Lord is just your own will and so you gotta every day gotta recognize who you are recognize who I am and I want your will let's go let's go right Then the next, give us this day our daily bread. The very next thing that's going to happen, the minute you say I want your will, I will bet you $20, $10. If you begin to actively do this, I really want your will in this situation, the next thing that's going to happen is fear because you don't know how that's going to play out because the Lord is not writing you a little letter that says, hey, this is how it's going to play out now. Don't worry. What he's saying is I'm walking you into darkness. Trust me. I'm leading you like lamb to the slaughter. I'm sending you out of sheep among wolves. Now trust me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Right, this is a pattern of those who follow after Jesus is the valley of the shadow of death. That's the way we're going to walk. That's going to bring fear. Am I going to get the things I need? Am I? Am I going to starve to death? Is my family going to starve to death? Am I going to have insurance? What if my kid gets sick? These are real issues. These are not fake issues. And the further you get into life, the realer the issues get. So this isn't just some theoretical way that we walk with the Lord. This gets realer and realer. And for some of you, it's real right now. You're about to graduate, and you don't know what happens on the other side of this turn. You've got no clue. No jobs are panning out. You might be stuck in Nacogdoches. This is a great place. I love this place. Okay, keep moving, keep moving. If you do not consistently turn your will over and then ask for what you need and trust that he will provide, you will be overrun with fear. So if you don't consistently, consistently, consistently turn this conversation into father I need this and I trust you father I need this and I trust you father I kind of want this and I trust you I want your will I want your will you see where I'm going I'm turning over my will and then I'm trusting what's going to happen is you've got reasons that you don't trust God you had a crappy father and you don't know that the father's actually good that's real you grew up in a crazy church where they talk crazy about the Holy Spirit that could be real right? So you've got problems when I say that the Holy Spirit is going to give you the Father's will for your life. I don't trust that guy. I'm down with the Father and the Son. I don't know about the crazy Holy Spirit, right? Or you grew up in a place where you have no idea what the role of Jesus the Son is in your life, that his blood has completely covered your sins, and you don't really know how that works, so you just kind of operate like God kind of likes me, maybe. So there's no trust. You've got to deal with the things that cause distrust, because this is where we enter into trust. Okay, keep moving, keep moving. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debtors. Uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You, the, the major thing that's gonna cut you from the Lord after fear is guilt and anger, period. The sins of yesterday. I will bet the majority of you in here, when you approach the Lord, there is some sort of turning in you because you know he knows about you. And that makes you feel unworthy. If this is not the place where you run in and say, Father, I have done this. I believe the blood of Jesus covers it and you see me as your child and you don't move forward believing that the blood of Jesus actually works, you're going to carry around guilt and shame for the rest of your life but the blood of Jesus was spilled so that you can wake up in the morning having sinned the night before and say, Father, I believe the blood of Jesus covers me and I'm moving forward as if that is taken care of and I don't have to carry it around anymore. So if you don't keep a short account of your sins, you're just going to have little rocks put in your backpack as you walk through life. And that backpack is heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier because you're not a very good person. If you do not keep a short account with your sins, you're going to feel it. And when you approach the Lord, you're going to feel it. The peace of God is not going to guard your heart and your mind because you've got accusations running across your mind all day long. So if you don't run in and cling to the blood of Jesus, you're going to feel it. Forgive us our debts. So if you don't make it a, a custom to wake up and say, I've done this and this and this, verbally not some notion that Jesus forgives but I've done this and this and this I believe the blood of Jesus covers it and I still feel a little guilty but I don't care because I believe the blood of Jesus covers it and I'm walking I'm moving on let's be done with that I actually believe that Jesus was who he said he was and he did what he said he did I believe that let's go forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors right after guilt is anger The other half of you that aren't guilty by nature, like myself, you're angry by nature. So what runs through your mind is not accusations against you, it's accusations against them. That will sever you from the Lord just as quickly. So I'm taking time to keep a short account of the people I'm mad at. Father, I believe the blood of Jesus covers their sin too. I've been forgiven freely, I forgive them freely, let's go. Because you cannot abide in Christ while you're holding on to the sins of someone else. You just can't. Last one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You are vulnerable in specific places. Some of you are vulnerable towards pornography. Some of you are vulnerable towards shopping. Some of you are vulnerable towards relationships, towards sex. I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. If I don't wake up in the morning and say, Father, I know that I'm vulnerable in this area. Protect me as I walk into the world and I'm recognizing the places that I'm vulnerable. Lead me not to temptation, but deliver me from evil. It's gonna recognize it. I know where I'm gonna get hit. This is a war. I know where it's coming. And sometimes I don't see it. And I fall right into it. And then I go to step four. I believe the blood of Jesus covers me. Let's keep moving, right? So we've got to listen to what Jesus said here, take the way that he said to pray and pray that way and not expect that the skies are going to part and doves are going to descend on us but to move forward dealing with the things in the way that he's prescribed for us to deal with them and then move forward in our life, in worship, abiding in relationship as we bear fruit for his kingdom and his name. So that time with the Lord is to deal with these things, right? Last housekeeping things. What about a Bible study? If you're an intellectual person and you really want to know what Leviticus is about, get a Bible study and read about Leviticus. Just don't do that in the morning. Maybe do it in the morning after you deal with your crap, but deal with your crap first, right? God's not smiling at you because you understand Calvinism, okay? He's smiling at you because you're dealing with your crap and the way that he prescribed for you to deal with that. And then, if you're driven towards a certain theology or a certain book of the Bible, please, by God, do that. Like, please. That's great. Also, take some time to get acquainted with the scriptures. This is not gonna be the time where every little word bursts open your heart, but this is sort of like combing through what you believe life to be like and changing what you believe according to what it says. So I am day by day getting more acquainted with the scriptures because I've got this little Bible reading plan that makes me read something from the Old Testament, something from the Psalms, and something from the New Testament every day. And I spend like 20 minutes doing that. And I'm just getting acquainted with things I would never read. I would never read Second Chronicles. All right, but I do now, right? So I'm taking time to just comb through and I'm allowing what's being said and what's being written to actually just comb through what I believe. How I understand life to work. I'm not expecting, again, the skies to open. And the last thing, you can do this as well. But I would add this to dealing with your crap. That's what we'll call it. Instead of quiet time. (laughs) Okay, last thing. As you're reading, one of the things you need on a daily basis is for the Lord to speak into your life. So ask the Lord to highlight things from the Word as you're taking your time to get acquainted from the Word of things that specifically speak to you. Holy Spirit, I want to receive from you. As I'm reading, can you show me something? If he doesn't show you something, it's okay. If he does show you something, praise God. And then move forward. He's God, you're not. Let him do what he wants. He's not like a dog where you're like, speak, speak, come on, speak. If you want to speak to me, speak to me. If you want to make something come alive in your word, make it come alive in your word. I want that. That's beautiful. Let's do that. I need that, right? What about distractions? Last one. You're going to get distracted. A lot of the things you're distracted with is crap you need to deal with. So don't ignore it. Deal with it, right? So a lot of the times I'm sitting down to spend time with the Lord, or to deal with my stuff, or I'm reading the Bible, and all I'm thinking about is clearing this little portion of my property with my new tractor. Right? That's all I'm thinking about. I'm like, how would I do that? Would I leave all these trees? Or leave the big trees? Would I leave the pine trees? Would I leave the oaks? And I'm like, Carly, can you come over and mark the trees for me so I know which ones to to leave, right? And I'm trying to spend, and I'm like, what am I doing? Oh, okay. I'm overrun with what I want my property to be like even more so than I want the kingdom of God to come. So in the middle of me seeing that, I'm like, God, I do want this place to look nice and I do love you. I want your kingdom more. But I do want this place to look nice. So I'm just saying here, I'm getting my mind overrun with it, but still, I do, I would like this, but I want your kingdom. You see what I'm doing here? I'm taking my distractions and I'm placing them at the feet of Jesus and saying, I can want things. It's okay to want things. We're not Buddhists. It's cool. But let him know and also let him know it's his will and not your will. And then let's keep moving. So if it comes across your mind, just lay it before his feet. Don't try to like ignore it. It's cool. Just let it flow. It's all right. And the last thing is be gracious to yourself. God became a human and died on a cross so that his blood can cover your imperfections. Receive that and breathe that in and let it be the ocean that you swim in and the air that you breathe. It's okay. Some days are going to go good. Some days are not going to go good. Some days you're going to release things to the Lord and feel burdens lifted and some days you're just going to move and trudge through and you're going to try again the next day. Keep trying. Keep trying. That's it. Nothing groundbreaking. Try this tomorrow and then try again the next day. If you continue to have difficulties, please, 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 please email me or talk to your community group leader because I talk to your community group leaders about this stuff, right? There can be intimacy. There can be release of things. You can receive from the Lord. It's all there. It's all there. So yeah, let's move forward. Let's move forward and do that. But try it out. Try it out.